He has risen. Isn't that great, great news? Uh, Think about the mixtures of fear and joy and excitement and probably some confusion. Just uh, an amazing experience. And then they take hold of Jesus' feet and worship him. Uh, I sure hope that you have had a great morning of worship so far. And uh, we're looking forward to a great conversation as we continue to think about the most amazing, important moment in all of history, the resurrection of Christ. Uh, My name's Monty. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Fellowship, and I'm joined by Jeff Patton, one of our other teaching pastors, and one of our elders, Phil Herndon. So guys, thanks for being here this morning. Yes. Good morning to Uh, y'all. Happy Easter. Phil. Morning, y'all. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Now, wasn't it great seeing all the shout-outs about the resurrection, right? I ran out of that grave. Wasn't I'd, that awesome? I'd rather have us set it in here all together, but... I, I would, too. That's sort of... Next best thing. Next best thing. Next yes, best it was thing. Awesome. Th- thanks, you guys, for uh, shooting those videos and sending <clears throat> them in. Um, this morning... We are going to uh, engage in another conversation. If you were with us four weeks ago, we had a a roundtable discussion around fear and anxiety. COVID-19 was just just coming on. We were just beginning to say, hey, we can't uh, sit closer than six feet apart. I think we're doing pretty good here. Four. Uh, (laughs) Four. Um, But we, we tried to get at a biblical perspective, one that was very practical, that how do we think about fear and anxiety in a time like this? And so we're going to have a similar conversation this morning, but now we're going to be talking about, uh, in light of Easter, resurrection life. And uh, we're going to try and get at how does that really apply today? Uh, We have heard stories and sermons and done Bible studies around Uh, first century resurrection in the early church, and we want to try and think about the difference that that makes for us today. Um, We do have some resources on our website, so if you haven't already, you can grab sermon outlines, Uh, kiddos can uh, get coloring sheets, and uh, just a lot of great stuff there for you so that you can follow along this morning. We do have an outline that I hope uh, you'll use as we go through the morning Uh, Here's what we're going to do. So we're talking about resurrection life, and we're just going to assume that the resurrection happened. How does that sound? Uh, Always a good idea. (laughs) Always a good idea. You know, I do love that for those joining us, uh, there are resources out there that talk about people trying to disprove that it was an actual event in history that happened, and in doing so came to Christ. Yeah. I think... uh, Josh McDowell and Dr. Simon Greenfield and those. So I sure. would encourage those who maybe don't assume this, yep. that they would, uh, you'd engage that and ask the really hard question. If Jesus rose from the dead, uh, the implications of that are certainly life-changing. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. And on the top of the outline that is on our website, there's, I think, six or seven resources there. Fantastic stuff that really talks about the reliability of Scripture as it relates to the resurrection. So hopefully you'll look there. Here, let me frame this up and uh, and think about how we're going to have this conversation this morning. You can kind of pretend like I, I'll concede there's a resurrection, but but where I'm coming from is that happened two thousand years ago, 
And that may have been great for the early church, but, you know, there's a global pandemic, there's an economic crisis, and life is hard for me. And so I need to know, how does the resurrection apply today, right now? Now, I've chosen four words to work with here, uh, freedom, power, hope, and joy. And it seems to me like everybody wants those. (laughs) right? Those are aspirations for everybody. And we all look for them in a number of places and in a number of ways. All the time. All the time, exactly. And so Christianity has claimed that all four of those things can be found and had and experienced in the resurrection. And so I need you guys to help me understand how do I connect the dots? How in the world can I find things like Freedom, power, hope, and joy in something that happened 2,000 years ago. Does that sound good? Yeah. So, Jeff, we're going to start with you, uh, kick it off, and uh, in our quest for freedom, how does an event that happened so long ago, how does that help me find freedom today? Thank you, Monty. <laughs> That's a, it's a big question. It right? is a big question. It is a big question, and we don't have forever to talk about it. I think, uh, I think when I think about the resurrection, Jesus bodily raising from the dead, the mm-hmm. scriptures teach that he goes back to the right hand of the Father. And, um, but he also teaches that he, those who place their trust in him for the forgiveness of their sins, he comes to indwell them. So he's still alive, not in a human body, but through his Holy Spirit that indwells each believer. Um, Having said that, I think uh, he wants to give us all four of those things that he says the scriptures teach us that his resurrection offered, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I I guess to start off, my first thought would be that when I think of freedom, I think of the opposite of that, being in bondage. And if there's anything universally true Hmm. about humans is that we're in bondage. Uh, another way to put it is we have idols. Luther talked about how our hearts create idols thousands at a time, oh, yeah. and we get rid of them, we recreate them um, when we do that. And Tim Keller actually defines idols in his book, one of our favorite books, my favorite book, uh, is uh, Counterfeit Gods. He says, anything more important to you than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give you, and maybe a a practical way to say that would be, if I have blank, and you fill in the, fill in the, the blank with anything that you could fill in, then mm-hmm. I would have a life with meaning, I know I have value, and I would be secure. And so having idols or being in bondage to something is really, uh, it's really worshiping something else or mm-hmm. breaking the first commandment. Mm-hmm. Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. And so... We, we do that as humans. Like, we can't even get to the second commandment <laughs> before we fail, right? Yeah. We, we flat out fail. So when I think of that, here's what I know from my own experience and counseling and speaking with others, many others who, who uh, have had bondage or idols, and that is that idols and bondage, they, they always disappoint. They mm-hmm. always promise high, deliver low. Mm-hmm. I know for a fact they make me feel good, but they're not good for me, Hmm. and they don't bring glory to God at all, right? So uh, getting to our point, I I think one of the ways we pursue these idols or we get in bondage to things 
is distraction or through entertainment, through amusement. And uh, I remember the first time I heard, I think I was in seminary, one of my professors said the root word for amusement is to dumb down. Hmm. And if there's anything that sort of categorizes our culture is a culture that numbs or dumbs down mm. through amusement, entertainment, and, and many other things. They're, they're yeah. limitless, right? Yeah. And when we dumb down life, we dumb down the big questions of life. We dumb down the things that really matter, mm -hmm. right? So we, we, I think when we do that, we, we get pulled away from thinking about death. I, I know I read recently in an article that uh, Blaise Pascal said <clears throat> uh, one of the things that distraction in life, why we distract ourselves, why we can't sit in a room and be by ourselves. Which is what we're doing right now. Yes. <laughs> Most of the time. <laughs> but there's at least three of us here. And some I mean, everybody all the time. We're just all sitting in yeah, rooms by yeah. ourselves. It, it, you know, the longer <laughs> we have to do it, we realize the harder it is to do. Yes. Right. But he says one of the reasons we do that is because we want to avoid thinking about death. Hmm. And when we avoid thinking about death, what happens is the resurrection actually loses its power to change us. It, it hmm. loses its ability to free us from hmm. those idols, to free us from the bondage, right? Uh, death makes us think about, is there a resurrection? And if there is a resurrection, then what does it mean to me? And then we get to have these conversations, right? Yeah. So, when I think about the reality of Jesus' resurrection, uh, I, the first thing I think is, if he rose from the dead, then those who trusted him will also, right? Mm -hmm. We're the first, he was the first fruits of many to come. Yeah. So that's a good thing. But it does bring us freedom. It brings us freedom from the fear of our circumstances, freedom from the fear of not being loved. And I wrote down here, freedom from the insatiable search for peace. Hmm. Now, when I and, and and many more, but those are three big stakes in yeah. some ways. Yeah. <clears throat> because when I think about the first two things that Jesus said after he resurrected, mm -hmm. he said to the two Marys, "Do not be afraid," Matthew twenty-eight, and he said to the disciples, "What did he say to the disciples?" Oh, he said, "Peace be with you." Mm -hmm. I think in John twenty. Yeah. So here's Jesus raising from the dead. He looks at his most beloved people on the face of the earth. Yeah. And he says, don't be afraid because I'm alive. Yeah. And you can have peace, inter internal peace, no matter what's going on, because I'm alive. Hmm. Um, man, it's powerful. Even as yeah. a, like I, I need to say that, and I think I'll end with this, is... Uh, <sighs> That kind of talk to our internal world, mm -hmm. our internal hearts, yep. is is what Eugene Peterson says is practicing the resurrection. And I know that practicing the resurrection is is much better than hearing a sermon once a year about it. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's great. Few that's thoughts. Great. Yeah, <laughs> love that. So the reality of the resurrection truly does set me free from my pursuit of those things that will keep me in bondage. Mm -hmm. Th those things will never let me go, but the resurrection sets me free uh, when I embrace that as a way of life. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I love what D.A. Carson says. He says, uh, 
we're not suffering from anything that a good resurrection can't fix. Mm. And so one of the things we know we suffer with is bondage to sin, yep. bondage to comfort, bondage to worshiping things above God. And, and, and Carson says uh, our good resurrection can fix that. Yeah. That for me is powerful. Yeah, yeah. And it sounds like it's, it's a change of mind in the moment. There's, there's an experience of freedom in the moment, but it's tied to a permanent freedom later. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. Let me shift over to Phil. So, Phil, we've got freedom. Um, and I, as I was thinking about this, it's one thing to know and believe that freedom can be had. Mm-hmm. It's another thing to actually experience it. And I, I know so many people talk about an inability. Like they say, I see that freedom is out there for me. I just don't know how to get there, and I don't think I have it in me to get there. So how does resurrection enable someone to have the freedom that Jeff was just talking about? Yeah, you know, that can, that can either be talking the conversation around power. Yeah. Or it can be a continuation of the freedom because, you know, the... You think about, okay, yay, I'm, I'm free, I'm free, but to what? And, you know, now what? Mm-hmm. We say, so what here, but I'm free, and now what? And how do I get to the, the experience of what we're talking about that can sound like it's a concept? And uh, so often our human um, answer to that is, well, let me just find some power somewhere so I can live in all this freedom. And mm-hmm. I've always thought it's so interesting and seemingly counterintuitive. The, the, the first words out of Jesus's mouth in Matthew as a teacher had everything to do with powerlessness. Hmm. Blessed be the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, hunger and thirsting and persecuted. And all those words, you know, the listeners are going, whoa, whoa, whoa. we thought this was going to be about having power yeah. over, over our people who own our land now. And, and so, you know, we, we humans have not changed much, if you notice, from those pages. <laughs> and there are three, and I see it all the time in my work, and you guys have seen it in, in different scenarios. I see it in my own life. There are three big solutions that we humans love. We love to use intellect, morality, or willpower. Mm. Uh, you know, to get get to that thing. In this case, for everyone except for Jeff, use it. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> well, I'm a psych major, so you know. So, um, intellect. You know, I can be smart enough. I can gain enough information to make this freedom something I can grab onto, or I can be good enough. I can do something more that's moral to to get to it, or I can just get tougher. I can send myself to some kind of boot camp. I can really make myself grasp onto this power. And, yeah. you know, when you, read, when you read the gospel and the gospels, uh, they say something directly opposite. And those who, who are listening, those who are familiar, familiar with 12-step recovery, every recovering person knows their first step literally. And the first steps are regeneration on Tuesday nights. We talk every week about powerlessness. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I am, this is a very, very big world. We have a thing called a pandemic. Pan means everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> we have a pandemic across the world, and we can't do anything enough to make it stop. Mm-hmm. So we're powerless. We're working hard to do what we can do and those kinds of things, but we're powerless over that. And so <clears throat> the, the counterintuitive answer to that is we have power through powerlessness and like, well, can you prove that? And yes, I can. <laughs> Please uh, do. Guy named Paul, <laughs> uh, pretty prolific writer. Yeah. Uh, Paul wrote this Philippians chapter three, starting in verse four, the last part of verse four. Paul says, "If any, if if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, 
power. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have more. And he goes through his whole pedigree as a, as a Jewish man, circumcised on the eighth day of, people, uh, of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Amazing morality. But whatever gain I had counted, I, every gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I counted everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through, through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. So Paul comes to us and says, I can know the power of his resurrection and it's not learning a lot and being super smart. It's not being super tough. It's not being, even being super good. As a matter of fact, I'm really smart. And I was so moral. I was blameless to the mm-hmm. external, the whole, all these externals. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was you know, tough as nails. And every bit of that garbage, it's nothing. Yeah. So I'll tell you what really did that was the powerlessness and, and writing checks on Christ's account of what he has done. So it seems counterintuitive. Yep. Uh, but Paul, I don't think any more clearly could have said, uh, if our answers are found in something we can produce in our humanness, we're, yep. we're, it's going to be garbage. Yeah. But if not, if we ride on the power of the resurrection, that's when we actually have it. Mm. That's beautiful. So it seems like we do want to connect. There was real power that raised a dead Jesus yeah. from the grave, right? Yeah. That was a real thing. <clears throat> And it sounds like what we're doing is we're differentiating between the power that I do have in and of myself to make my own way, mm-hmm. which is a way that leads to death. Yeah. And then there is a power which helps me find God's way. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's in that place that I find life. Yeah. And I find freedom. And I find joy, uh, which we're going to talk about in just a minute. So uh, I love that. The, the resurrection for me is this beautiful demonstration of the power that I have access to mm-hmm. if I want it. Yes. Um, let me change gears. Let, let me throw this up. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I, no, I was just thinking that the, the resurrection power, uh, only sort of we only get that when we surrender to it. So it's a, it's, it is counterintuitive, yeah. right? When we take life in our own hands, mm-hmm. then we destroy ourselves. But when we surrender to Christ, to another, the resurrection tells us who the another is, right? Another king, another ruler, Mm -hmm. then he gives us his power. But there is a a yielding, submission. Bill Bright used to use the word yield all the time. Oh, yeah. And that's how we get it. And it's so so, uh, antithetical to Mm -hmm. what we naturally do as humans. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and it's so daily. Yeah, or hourly. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing that kills me. Uh-huh. It's not walking with Christ; it's doing it moment by moment. Oh, yeah, drives me crazy. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, that's good. I'm probably the only one out there. That no, the man. Sure. Well, okay. So let me change gears here, and uh, I want to think for a minute about how the resurrection relates to our future. Once again, let's let's think again. This happened two thousand years ago. And that was a real fresh idea in the first century. But a little time has passed. And so I may believe that it happened, but I may have a hard time understanding how that event affects my present, my tomorrow, 
my next year, and even my eternity. So help me connect the dots there, Jeff. How does our resurrection really provide hope that matters now and on into the future? Yeah, I mean, obviously, my mind just starts going, duh, 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 duh. you know, <laughs> hope is a massive theme. Oh, yeah. And, I, and I'll say, maybe I need to say this publicly. You've been one of the ones that probably helped me think about biblical hope. Huh. I'm not sure I grasped it before I became a pastor here. And it was, huh. I think, one of your areas hmm. uh, that that you've sunk your teeth into. So mm-hmm. I remember that. But maybe just let's start this way. Biblical hope isn't defined typically by how we uh, define hope. You know, I hope I kill a turkey in the morning. I know you do. Yeah, everybody (laughs) knows that. Uh, I hope my wife bakes me a chocolate cake. You know, I I hope I get a raise, elders, you know, whatever. (laughs) But but biblical hope isn't a desire, something I want. Um, It actually is a certainty or a sureness or a shoe-in. Right, it's mm-hmm. uh, it's mm-hmm. a for sure thing. It's really like a promise. Yeah. So having said that, I, I thought about First Peter one three through five speaks to this certainty in the life change that should result in the hope of the resurrection. It says, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again." To a what? Living hope. Mm-hmm. Living hope. He's alive, so hope is alive. Mm. Uh, these, it's been said out there, keep hope alive. Well, hope is alive, but it's only alive in Jesus. Yeah. Um, and he says, through a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Mm. So that there gives us a, a foundation to sort of define this. So when I think of resurrection hope, I think there are a couple little sayings here that could help us. Okay. One is, it reminds me this world is not my home. Mm-hmm. That hope that, like, I'm not home yet. Mm-hmm. I, I'm that missionary that's been overseas for 40 years, and I'm coming home to die. I found out I have cancer, and I get off the boat, and no one's there to welcome me. Mm-hmm. But they look next door, and somebody's welcoming the king of England being home. And that missionary's got to tell himself, I'm not home yet, right? Uh, It causes us to wait well. Yeah. Uh, It uh, always looks ahead. It fixes our hope on the unseen. I think it nourishes our hearts by uh, eagerly eagerly anticipating our assured future. And, uh, And I think maybe just practically for us, it carries us through trials and tribulations and the hardness of this life. Yeah. Um, it really does. Uh, just a personal story. I think uh, <clears throat> resurrection hope is antithetical or opposite of immaturity. Mm-hmm. Maybe say that another way is if you have resurrection hope, there's a level of maturity in your life, and we know that Paul and other writers throughout the New Testament continually exhorted us to mature in Christ, to grow in Christ, mm-hmm. to, to be Christ-like, to mature in our Christ-likeness. Yeah. And I think when we don't have this resurrection hope of thinking of the unseen and the world to come and eternity with Christ, there's a level of immaturity in us that needs to grow. 
Mm -hmm. uh, I'm case in point example number one. <laughs> three or four, three years ago now, I, and most people know in our church, I had a cancer scare, and I ended up starting one doctor, and two months later, ended up at through six doctors and the head of Vanderbilt's department, and mm -hmm. I thought I was eat up, right? Mm. I was so disappointed once I got the cancer-free message about how I responded. Hmm. I was afraid out of my mind, even though I knew in my head that I was going to be with Christ. I was at panic attacks. It was, it was all encompassing. And so what God did, I think, was expose my immaturity, hmm. that the hope of the resurrection had not taken root inside of me yeah. in my uh, in eternal world. So what I did was a friend of mine recommended this book that I, I it was it was a game changer for me. Mm. And uh, it says, Old Love, the title of the book is Old Love That Will Not Let Me Go, Facing Death with Courageous Confidence in God. Mm. And it's edited by a gal named Nancy uh, Guthrie. But in there you have Piper and R.C. Sproul and Albert Moeller and every person you can think of mm. talking about the hope of the resurrection. Wow. And uh, it was very powerful. So I, I, I think just practically, I'll end with this. Uh, the hope of the resurrection tells us there's life beyond this life. Mm -hmm. How sweet that is. Yeah. Uh, it motivates us to holy living. Mm -hmm. that we're going to stand before Christ. And thirdly, our label for Christ here, even though weak at times, is never in vain. Yeah. So anyway, I, it's, uh, it's, it's deeper rooted in me than it was three years ago. Yeah. And I'm sure there's immaturity there <laughs> that God's got exposed. I just, I'd like for him not to work on that for a few years. Yeah, I hear you, man. So, no anyway, doubt. Anyway, does that make that, sense? It, that's great. And I, I guess maybe I would just um, maybe sum it up this way, that if there were no resurrection, then the only hope we could have is crossing our fingers. You know what I'm saying? Like, we would just have to just go, well, I don't know what tomorrow or next year or eternity holds, and I don't have any reason to believe it's going to be anything specific, so I'm going to cross my fingers and hope for the best. But because that happened and because that's assured for me, having placed my faith in Christ, I know what my future looks like. So global pandemic or whatever else might come along, I can still feel afraid. I can, I can feel some certain some emotions about that but it doesn't take me down. I don't despair. I don't lose heart. Well, when we despair, we lose that idol. Yeah. Right? That yeah. Gets exposed. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, I find myself, uh, yeah, because I got a lot of emotions going around. I don't, I mean, we all do, right? Sure. We're oh, humans yeah. and we feel things. I think one thing I've been repeating to myself over the last few years is, ultimately, Jeff, ultimately, you're going to be okay. Hmm. It's, gonna be, it's all going to be okay. Yeah, yeah. And there's something that settles uh -huh. in me, and I think that speaks to hope. Yeah. I mean, it, isn't it Paul saying, to live is Christ and to die is gain? Yeah. To me, that's, that's resurrection hope. And you, I'm there here. Yes, I'm But we need to be there down. Yep. here, right? Yep, for sure. So I think Paul was there here when he said it. <laughs> he probably was. Yeah. <laughs> he probably was. Paul, I think, a little ahead of us, guys. Yeah, no doubt. So. All right, Phil. Take us home, man. Um, 
we've talked about freedom, power, hope, and now I want to talk about joy. And uh, the thing that struck me was when I think about the early church, I think of two things. Massive hardship. You know, amazing persecution. Mm, yes. And then enduring joy. Yeah. They rejoiced. All of, like we keep hearing again, whether you're in prison or getting stoned or <laughs> whatever, you know, like they're rejoicing. And then let's contrast that with our church. I don't mean necessarily just Fellowship Bible Church, but let's just say the Big C Church of the World. Mm -hmm. As prosperous as maybe it's ever been in all of history, and yet plagued by discontentment, mm -hmm. discouragement, disillusionment. I got all kinds of disses here. <laughs> I, we can go on and on. But anything but joy. Yeah. And so how might we recover joy as we look back at the resurrection. Well, the joy is my favorite. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that one thing that characterized that church, you know, no one has ever said that church, that those folks were happy. Huh. What a bunch of happy people. Uh -huh. They were joyful people. Uh -huh. And, you know, happiness comes from a word called happenstance. We're talking about circumstances. That means things that are external to us. And so they, their external environment was what you said. It was persecution. And it, it was terrible. And there's a, a writer, uh, Dr. Herschel Hobbs, he wrote uh, talking about the early church. He said the early church had little of the world's resources and none of its applause. Wow. Like they, were, <laughs> they were not popular. So people in the church uh, turning their backs on Judaism and, and their former way of life, uh, you know, Roman polytheism or whatever it may have been, they gave all of it up and came into this place to experience the joy you're talking about. And so their circumstances, not only did their circumstances did change for the worst, yeah. and they still had this joy going in them. And, uh, you know, joy is, a, um, again, I'm using the word counterintuitive over and over to, uh, this morning, but, you know, joy is, is most on display when the dark has been the darkest. Mm. It's amazing how joy is an outgrowth of uh, being fully present in my own life which allows me to be fully present in where I'm living out here, reminding me of my dependence on him. Hmm. And so when I'm living fully out of this that belongs to him, I can walk in this world, these circumstances out here going crazy, you know, things like pandemic, bailouts, furlough, all these scary words we have going on here. And I can experience this internal thing in me called joy because it comes from uh, a place that is me being fully present with, it sounds funny as it may sound, in my own identity as Christ's yeah. uh, and as the, in the body of Christ, I live in a place that Scripture tells me uh, is not home. Jeff alluded to that a while ago. It's like, uh, this isn't our, isn't our home. We're not here in this current condition, at least. And, you know, when you when in doubt, if you wonder where, where did Jesus actually stand, God himself, where did he stand with joy? There's a place in the book of Hebrews, the writer puts it this way, we look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Mm. And in some ways, that one verse in Hebrews kind of captures all four of these words. Yeah. Like Christ defeated the enemy, the undefeatable enemy, undefeated. Mm. <laughs> you know, uh, and, and we have the freedom that comes from that enemy finally being defeated. Huh. And if you want to think about power through powerlessness, the greatest enemy ever to be defeated that's where our power comes from, the powerlessness of, of signing checks on Jesus' account. Right. And then Jeff just you know, talked about our hope, our eternal hope. And 
Um, of course, the joy comes from uh, the freedom and power and hope I have that yeah. because Jesus says here, uh, where, where it says set before him, that means to face. Jesus was constantly facing hmm where he was going, facing the defeat of death. And so I think it's probably a pretty good prescription for us to take to no say, doubt. why don't I do that? Because it says clearly, look to him, mm -hmm. the founder and perfecter and completer. So mm -hmm. I think it's a great practice that we recognize joy cannot be manufactured. Mm -hmm. uh, joy cannot be tried into existence. Yeah. Uh, joy is experienced as an outgrowth of what he has done. Mm -hmm. And then James uh, the half-brother yep. uh, of Jesus, James writes uh, in the first chapter some, to that church you were talking about, the early church, and says, count it all joy hmm. when you run into trials, not if, when you run into trials of different kinds. Yep. And uh, it's amazing, that word count is a picture of, you know, theologians call it volition. Uh, yep. We call it, that's something I've got to be doing. <laughs> I'm choosing to do this. <laughs> yeah. And so this outgrowth I experience comes uh, in some ways by me looking at the joy set before me, recognizing I'm not home yet, but that's where I'm headed. Mm. And I know I'm headed there. As you, I know I'm headed there because of the finished work and the freedom and the power and the hope that we have that one day I am going to get to where I'm headed because he has already seen to it. Yeah. And from that, despite circumstances, I have this great joy. Mm. That's beautiful. It seems like these four words blend. Yeah. Right. You can't have one. With, and, and we could give more words, but sure. there's four big stakes in the ground. Right. I love what uh, uh, what Martin Luther says about the resurrection. He says, our Lord has written about the reality of the resurrection, not in books alone, but in every leaf of springtime. Mm -hmm. It says the Lord says every year I'm going to remind you. Right. Yeah, all things that new. all things are new yeah. and you're going to be home one day mm -hmm. and. And, but you can experience these not, not fully, like in eternity, right? But enough to, uh, as Eugene Peterson said, allows us to walk with the Lord in the land of the living, you know? Yeah. That's that. how we practice the resurrection. Right? Yeah. And Monty and I were talking earlier, and, um, you know, it's like I, I've, we've got one son, and I had incredible joy about being a dad before he was born. You know, before the culmination of the thing, I had joy already, so we know we're headed home, but we have joy now thinking about what's coming. Yeah, yeah. You have more joy with one son because you probably have more money with one son, right? <laughs> there so, you go. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I guess if I'm pulling this together, I, we all want these four things, freedom, power, hope, and joy. And it seems like the resurrection is a bit of a North Star that we can look backward and see that gives us great assurance that that what we're going after and what we believe is true but it's also something that we can look forward to it it tells us that our resurrection is a sure thing uh, we can't earn it we're never going to be good enough to get it it's going to be because he rose and we're trusting in him and uh, man when we take hold of that we get those four things and more uh, I want to read you guys something. You mentioned Eugene Peterson, Practicing Resurrection, one of my favorite books. Um, but here's what he says about the church and how we might go after this uh, in community. Here's what he says. Church is an appointed gathering of named people in particular places who practice a life of resurrection in a world in which death gets the biggest headlines. Mm -hmm. 
death of nations, death of civilization, death of marriage, death of careers, obituaries without end. The practice of resurrection is a deliberate, there's that volitional idea, is a deliberate decision to believe and participate in resurrection life, life out of death, life that trumps death, life that is the last word, Jesus' life. Isn't that good? Yeah, that's great. Um, and I just, I'm, I'm struck right now that that may be as hard as ever because we are so aware of our idols. We're aware of those things that threaten us, our vulnerability, and uh, it can make us feel um, incredibly vulnerable to our future. But man, our, our future is good. And uh, great. Even though this is hard, it's like exercise. It's hard. Yeah. I'm trying to stay in shape at yep. nearly 57. Yeah. Feels different. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's so good for me. Yeah. It's so good for me to keep moving. Right on. And I think for us as the church, um, I read something the other day thinking now the church, man, uh, cultural Christianity gets moved to the side through this. Yep. Well, that's a good thing for that's the church. That's a good thing. Hard thing. And yeah. when things are going great, culture of Christianity grows. Yeah. Secondly, um, the Lord is going to bring countless people to himself mm -hmm. that would never consider him. Yeah. He is at work just like he was, yeah. uh, as I talked about on Good Friday. Yeah, yeah, that's good. It, it makes me think, and I'll wrap up with this, that uh, hopefully we are well acquainted with and quick to share the good news of the gospel. But uh, I love the idea that, that someone who may be wrestling with faith and future and death and salvation and all that kind of stuff, that they're not going to take my word for it, but they're going to take the word of 2,000 years of history and pointing back to a day, it's like the reason that you can trust God is because he's a promise keeper. Amen. He did what he said he was going to do, and he's going to do what he said he was going to do. So we can trust in him. Uh, let me turn our attention back to uh, the folks that are with us. And uh, I, I want to ask you to uh, take a moment and turn your chairs toward each other, kind of like we've been doing here for a while, and uh, talk for a little bit about uh, the resurrection. Talk about the difference that it has made in your life. Uh, you might wanna pick one of these four themes, freedom, power, hope, or joy, and talk about which one of those do you feel like you need to give some attention to, and, and you might even need to, to pray and think about how to apply this truth of the resurrection to that area, um, we would get, we'd love to hear from you. Shoot us an email at info at fbcrc.org. Let us know what God is doing. Let us know what questions you have. Let us know how you're applying the truth of resurrection to your life and your family. And uh, we wanna celebrate that with you. Uh, we hope that you have an awesome, awesome day celebrating the resurrection and uh, applying this wonderful gift uh, to your life and to your home and to your future. Uh, we love you guys. Again, we miss you. Amen. And uh, we're looking forward to getting together again soon. God bless you guys.